Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. Today we're talking about the past, present, and future of fires in St. Louis. And we consider some of the challenges in protecting our region's most cherished historic buildings. As we watched flames engulf the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris this week, we were reminded of the impermanence of our cultural heritage and how disaster can play havoc with history. I have three guests joining me in studio to talk about it. Greg Favor teaches disaster preparedness and emergency management at St. Louis University. He's also a former St. Louis Fire Department commander and former deputy director of the Missouri Department of Public Safety. Christopher Gordon is the director of the Library and Collections for the Missouri Historical Society. He's also the author of a book we featured last year on St. Louis on the Air, which looks at the 1849 fire in St. Louis, which destroyed over 400 buildings. And David Lott is a project architect with Trivers and vice president of the board of directors of the Landmarks Association of St. Louis. Greg, Christopher, David, thanks so much for being here. Thanks Thank you. Us. Thank you. David, I understand you're currently working on a rehabilitation of the old courthouse downtown, and you've worked on other historic preservation projects. Speaking as an architect, just what was going through your mind watching that iconic cathedral in Paris engulfed in flames on Monday? Uh, I was thinking back to the, the 9-11 um, uh, disaster. Uh, there's, there's few buildings in, in this country or around the world that elicit kind of that visceral response of the, the unimaginable. Um, so it, it was very difficult to watch, and in fact, you know, at, I turned it off um, and, and came back to it later because it was it was pretty difficult. And historical importance, of course, but architectural importance as well. Uh, of course, I mean it's one of the the largest uh, Gothic cathedrals in in the world. Um, it's, it's one of those structures that we we can't afford to lose. And Greg. Surely, as someone who has fought fires and knows this field very well, uh, you wrote that day on Twitter, as a firefighter, as a Catholic, and as a human, this fire is heartbreaking. Tell us just a little bit about uh, your thought process on that day. Sure. So, uh, you know, firefighters in every corner of the country are instrumental to their neighborhoods, and, and they're, they're part of the fabric day in and day out. I mean, they see kids riding their bikes. They see buildings come up. They see buildings go down. Uh, and, and most firefighters work in specific areas for years. I know that, you know, in different areas that I've worked in St. Louis, including in, in you know, the Grand Avenue District, the 5th District, where we have the cathedral, we have St. Francis Xavier right here on the corner of Grand Avenue. There's some, some huge iconic structures that we would not want to lose. And I, I was imagining myself as one of the first responders um, that, would, that would be covering that uh, for Paris and uh, the amount of effort and and hurt that you would feel not only as a Parisian but as a as a responder and as somebody who's responsible for mitigating that damage uh, that you would the, the ownership that you would feel of such a of such a tremendous fire um, and I'm sure we'll get a little bit deeper into it but just off the top uh, it was a world class firefighting effort mm. and you were you were live tweeting the Notre Dame disaster and quite a lot of folks were following what you had to say as those hours ticked by what were some of the observations you were making. So I, I think it's helpful in, in seeing big events like this because we see uh, very small snippets and we see, you know, 30 seconds of, of different things on Twitter. Um, I, I think it's helpful to provide some context because people, um, they expect a lot from their fire department and we, we've never lived at a safer time in our world for, for fire and EMS protection. Uh, but it could also be a very complex event. So what I was trying to do was just provide some, some clarity around what they may be seeing. Uh, and I can tell you, just watching the fire early on, as I saw it uh, kind of um, start pushing different color smoke, which means different things to 
uh, is happening within the building and watching it begin to run the roof line. Um, I was I was worried at the start that this was going to be uh, about as bad as it as it appears now. Um, I'm actually surprised that they were able to save the two bell towers. It was a, a, a an incredible effort to get in there and put a stop that deep into the fire. Um, the other thing too is that it is a big building, but you have to remember you're you're you, you only have a finite amount of resources. So. Four to five hundred firefighters uh, would would be what we call probably a, a fifteen or sixteen alarm fire. Again, it's it's the, that that amount of of managing resources over the over a twelve hour twenty four hour event is is incredible. And I'm I'm trying to think of anything outside of uh, the September eleventh attacks that mm-hmm. has required that level of complexity in the fire field. Well, as that fire raged on, a lot of us. Felt very helpless, but what, what were the, some of the things you were actually watching for to get a sense for how bad things might get and, and what might be preserved? So, what, one of the one of the nice things uh, early on is it appeared that it was up in the roof line, and that's that's uh, both a blessing and a curse, right? Uh, fires that start low can tend to consume whole buildings. We see that whether it's a four-family flat here in St. Louis or we see it, you know, in skyscrapers. Things that start low tend to burn up. It's how the heat travels. Um, if the fire starts high up in the roof line, which it appears largely, I mean, they haven't definitively determined a point of origin yet, but it appears it started relatively high up. Uh, it did what we expected to do and burn most of the roof line off. Uh, a fire like that in a building like that, in large open spaces with heavy timber that are old, dry wood, you expect to see a fire move pretty rapidly, which is what we saw. There's also a lot of fuel in those beams to consume. They're just—it's just a lot of fire load. There's just a lot of stuff to burn there. Um, what it allows, though, is for fire. It gives a, a small window for firefighters to actually get in and deploy some lines uh, high enough and quick enough that they can eventually stop the spread. Which is exactly what they did as they got to the the the, the two bell towers towards the the front end of the of the cathedral. Um, so one, this could have been worse. It absolutely could have been worse, and, and I'm 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 shocked actually that all of this all of the main walls of the cathedral appear to be up. I'm not sure that they're all going to stay up. We've it's a it's a incredibly traumatic event, as I'm sure as I'm sure you could speak to you know to have that that amount of water, to have that fire damage, that heat damage. The the building is designed for the weight of the roof to be on top of it, and it's obviously obviously not there anymore. Um, so I'm I'm I think the next 48 hours are going to be really key in determining whether or not you know all of the walls are salvageable, but the fact that everything seemed to collapse mostly in on itself is a good thing. Um, you didn't have you know the, the spot fires or, or or you know pieces of of heavy timber coming down on exterior walls, uh, and the fact that they were able to obviously save so many of the archives, you know the crown of thorn and some paintings and some things like that are meaningful, not only for their own rehabilitation of the building, but worldwide, a, a symbol of, um, mm. you know, that, that yes, it's damaged, it is not completely lost. Mm. And iconic structures like this, particularly with a religious significance, folks who around the world who may never actually lay foot there feel a, a sense of connection to it, and, and it's part of a shared culture, right? Absolutely. I've, I've never been to Notre Dame Cathedral, but I've been in similar buildings, and I know how they inspire me. I've, I've watched other people, um, you know, have different things there, and it, and it gives you a sense of, um, especially in, in a culture that is so fast and short-lived attention span, something that's been around, something that Napoleon stepped foot in, something that kings have been installed in, 
um, timbers that were cut 850 years ago and hoisted, you know, 300 and whatever, you know, the height is up into that rafter, it gives you a sense of scale and immensity. And I think it, it, it makes all of us feel kind of our space in, in time. It's, uh, it's, it was certainly a moving thing to not only watch it burn, but to watch such a tremendous effort to try to stop that, that, that damage. Mm-hmm. Christopher Gordon, uh, director of library and collections for the Missouri Historical Society. The old cathedral in downtown St. Louis was saved from the great fire of, of 1849 that you have done a lot of research into. Was that good luck that day, or did the city take steps to protect that structure specifically? Well, it's really interesting, uh, you know, when you talk about iconic buildings and, and, you know, the religious and emotional connections to buildings, you know, the, the old cathedral wasn't old at that time, obviously. It was really, you know, less than 20 years old. But yet, you know, the firefighters, you know, they they really pinpointed that building, and they it was a is a point of civic pride, and and certainly the religious connection. You know, many of the firefighters were Irish Catholic firefighters, and so forth. And so, when there was a real threat to the old cathedral, um, you know, they they rallied around it, and they made a very uh, you know concentrated effort. Uh, to make sure that it received as little damage as possible and to save it. Uh, there were really only two buildings that um, received as, a, as that amount of attention, and one was the old cathedral and the other was the, what they called the old city market, which was like the original city hall. And again, you know, a point of pride building, uh, very close connection to the community, and certainly of not only administrative importance, but, you know, it was one of those first buildings you saw when you come up, came up the river was the city market. So these two buildings that represented St. Louis at the time, yeah, they, they really fought hard to, to save them. Give us a, a sense of the destruction from that fire. What, what important buildings were lost? Well, in, in terms of important buildings, uh, you know, most of it was, was residential and or businesses, the large blocks of the city. You and know, I, I should say historically significant, not to imply that the 400 buildings that were lost yeah, yeah. were not important to everyone who, who lived and worked there. Sure. You know, and, from the in, point of view of this conversation. In terms of, um, you know, what was, what was lost, uh, again, most of it was, was uh, were businesses and residents and so forth. And so... And, and it was huge blocks, you know, we're talking 12 uh, blocks of, of the city is, is all burning at, at one time. Uh, it starts on the, on the levee, uh, on the steamboats. There's 23 steamboats that eventually go up in flames. Uh, and, you know, the descriptions at the time, it, it just must have been, um, you know, beyond belief. People were talking about, you know, walls of flames uh, surrounding them in the city and so forth. Um, so as far as, you know, other iconic structures at that time, you know, uh, they were lucky in that they were able to save the principal, uh, uh, the principal historic buildings of the city. Um, but, you know, it, it was just a, a, a heartbreaking situation. So many people left homeless and without their businesses and means of support, uh, as well as all these uh, derelict steamboats that are now clogging up the the, the levee. So it was, it was, uh, are there remains of, of burned steamboats in the Mississippi river that are still there? Uh, no, they, they've salvaged all that stuff. And, you know, there's been so much renovation of that area over mm-hmm. the years. There's, there's nothing left, but, but they sat there for a very long time. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, in 1849, they didn't have the technology, of course, to clean things up as fast as they would now. So, yeah. 
David, uh, you're an architect and a leader of the Landmarks Association of St. Louis. What special steps do folks take these days to protect a building that might have been constructed in a different era with different standards from what we have when we build something new today? Uh, well, going back to an earlier comment, we, we do live in the, the safest age that there ever has been for fire protection. Uh, you do have to recognize that these are uh, different materials and different building methods. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of materials now that um, we consider fireproof or fire resistant, you know, uh, concrete covering steel members. We have gypsum board. Uh, heavy timber was more or less a, a fireproof product in that day and age. The mass timber takes a long time before it's structurally compromised. So the way these buildings were, were built weren't necessarily, um, you know, they weren't poorly constructed. Uh, they knew what they were doing. The, these were load-bearing uh, masonry buildings. So you've got a, a mass of uh, stone or brick, non-combustible, with a, a combustible attic space. And, uh, you know, as we discussed earlier, fire can just run through it. It's, it's a, a superheated, uh, consistent, um, hot environment that those members dry out and are susceptible to, to fires. We've had two uh, cathedrals here in St. Louis, uh, or uh, two churches here in St. Louis, rather. Here it's um, the Rock Church just north of us. Um, and then down on Merrimack, th those two churches both lost their roofs and were able to be rebuilt. Um, so, you know, what we're seeing at Notre Dame is not out of the question to be rebuilt. I think the five-year time frame is, is, is premature to make that mm -hmm. sort of assessment. And, and also calling a building structurally sound at this point, I think it's a bit premature as well. Mm. Well, we're talking about historic buildings and fire from Paris to St. Louis. I'm talking with former St. Louis Fire Department Commander Greg Favor, historian Christopher Gordon, and architect David Lott. I want to invite our listeners to add their voices to this conversation. Do you have a question about this topic? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can also send us an email, talk at stlpublicradio.org, or tweet at us at stlonair. We'll be back in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation with fire expert Greg Favor, excuse me, Greg Favor, historian Christopher Gordon, and architect David Lott. So we all know we started to talk about different building materials and, and what is fire resistant and what isn't. We all know there's plenty of red brick to go around in, in St. Louis. David, how does brick stand up to other building materials in terms of fire safety? I think that's an interesting point you brought up. You know, I, I dabble in history myself, so, you, you know, you, uh, you, you speak to me when you talk about the 1849 fire. That, that revolutionized St. Louis. And in St. Louis, what you see today is because of that fire. You know, we were a sleepy provincial uh, city. I mean, we were 60,000 people at that time, but from 1849 to 1900, we raced to, you know, World's Fair stature. Uh, that informed that all buildings throughout the city of St. Louis should be built in brick. Uh, so I think that says a lot about uh, our emphasis on brick being a non-combustible. We live in tight quarters. You know, all there are, are these three-foot um, gangways between our houses. Um, I, I think that you didn't see a repeat fire. We learned from our mistakes, um, at least to that extent here in the city of St. Louis, because of that conversion to the red brick and being the red brick city that we are today. Hmm. Well, Carl on Twitter has a question. He writes, 
What are the ethics, for want of a better word, for want of a better word, of rebuilding landmarks such as those after destruction, especially when the costs are in the hundreds of millions or more? Uh, is there a decision that has to be made in terms of whether you're going to try to rebuild something or not? Well, in in terms of something like Notre Dame, I mean, as as such an iconic structure, I can't imagine them not uh, dedicating the resources to rebuilding that structure. Uh, you know, as, as uh, someone said earlier, you know, this it's a it's a representation of the entire country, of the entire culture. Um, but certainly, you know, you have to take into consideration what can be saved and what the what the cost uh, is going to be. Certainly, but I can't imagine them not dedicating as much resources as they could to to save an iconic structure like that. I I, uh, I grapple with. Um, you know, what, what is it when it's rebuilt? Um, I think it's cheapened. You know, if you come back with a bunch of new materials, you, you, you don't give people an opportunity to understand what's new and what's old. It's not authentic. It's lost its authenticity. Uh, and I think that's something that's going to have to be worked through um, in a rebuilding of a building like this. Mm -hmm. Does anyone at the table have examples of uh, historic buildings in this city that suffered fire damage and were rebuilt in what was considered to be a, a sensitive and Historically significant way. That's that stumps the group. So not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Well, let's go to a call. We have Chet calling from Belleville, Illinois. Chet, are you there? Good morning. Chet, what's your question? I did not know if you or your guests were aware of the beautiful Gothic Cathedral in downtown Belleville, St. Peter, um, burnt. I believe it was 1912. And it was completely lost to fire, except for the exterior walls were left standing. And it, is, it was completely rebuilt to the beautiful uh, building that it is today, and Chet, fully restored. Chet, is it in use now? Oh, absolutely, yes. What do you, Very active. Do you, do you happen to attend, uh, are you a congregate there? I am not a congregate, but um, many members of my family are and have been. Oh, great. And it's a, it's a glorious building, you're telling us? Beautiful building, yes. I encourage you to go visit it. It's architecturally beautiful. Hmm. The Cathedral in Belleville, Illinois. Thanks so much for the call, chat. And I, I Thank do think, you. I do think that's an interesting point, too. I mean, I, I agree with the, the potential to cheapen uh, the environment. You know, you, you don't necessarily know that you're not looking at the original timbers. That said, um, there is something, there is an evolutionary, I guess, feel to this. It, Notre Dame has been renovated before. Mm -hmm. Uh, the spire that we all, the steeple that we all saw fall down, I, I didn't know until this fire was only at it like 130 mm. years ago. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't 800 years old. So I, I think there have been, there has been an evolution of these buildings before. And if if done, I don't, I don't want to say with the right ceremony, but if done with the right intent, um, this may be a chance for Notre Dame to showcase its resiliency, even if it is, even if it now has pre-piped sprinklers in this area, right? Which, which would obviously not be authentic. Mm. John on Twitter has a question. He writes, with recent fires at Notre Dame and locally the Carpolis Manuscript Library, how are local St. Louis, how are local St. Louis history institutions and historic buildings such as the Campbell House, John writes, working to safeguard their structures and collections. So when a fire like this happens, do people tend to take a look at their own house and, and, and see if everything's in order? Well, certainly, but you know, every uh, historical institution 
in, in terms of its collections, has a disaster plan in, in place and uh, puts a, a lot of, you know, a great deal of effort into working out all kinds of strategies. And, and certainly, um, you know, in terms of protecting your collections, you have good fire suppression and so forth in place. So th that's always on our mind uh, in caring our for, for our collections and training our staff and, and making sure that when, when the unthinkable happens that everyone is 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 aware of what they can do to to save this uh, the, the structure and save the the collections and so forth. David, in, in Missouri, we don't have something quite as magnificently fragile as a Notre Dame Cathedral, but we do have so many historically significant buildings. Are we well poised in these parts to protect our historic buildings from the risk of fire? I think so, um, but it has to be weighted. Uh, we we can't damage something. Um, in the name of preserving it. So uh, take Sistine Chapel, for example. Are we going to punch a bunch of holes in the, the ceiling there to put, uh, to, put sprinkler head, <clears throat> to put sprinkler heads? I don't think so. Uh, that wouldn't be the right thing to do, but I think there's a balance that, you know, standpipe sprinkler systems, redundancies so that the water isn't, you know, in a, in a spot that could negatively impact the building if there were a fire. Um, I think that could be done in a sensitive manner, um, but it, it, it takes some know-how and the right approach to do it correctly. And uh, you've mentioned that we're in the, the greatest era of fire protection, but even in 2019, something as basic as a building fire is something that we cannot completely completely prepare for, right? Greg, Greg, Greg Favor, um, how has the technology advanced since the days of passing water buckets? <laughs> passing water we're buckets. We're better off yeah, now. No, yes, we are. We are. We are better off now, although although uh, St. Louis doesn't have the newest equipment, we certainly are, are steps above uh, steps above the buckets. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest part of parts of this too is that in the last 25 years, and St. Louis City has certainly led this charge. There's a there's a new um, there's a new reliance on community risk reduction. So it used to be that when fire was called the firemen would run out of the door and they would handle whatever the, 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 the situation was. Now we are much more preventative in our efforts. And I can tell you that every single day in St. Louis, and that this includes Saturday and Sundays, uh, firehouses are going out and going to these target hazards. They're going and walking through with uh, the safety and security officers at Barnes. They're going down to St. Anthony of Padua and walking through the rectory with whoever the, the maintenance person is. Every, every district has their own list of target hazards. And annually, if not if not more often than that, they're walking through and actually going and saying, "Okay, here's our point of access. Here's our standpipe. Listen, guys, let's make sure we have enough hose to get to this point of the building." They are pre-planning these buildings every single day across St. Louis, and uh, sometimes those plans get put into play. Like when you see at the at the couples fire recently, I was on the phone with the fire chief a couple uh, a couple of days ago as Notre Dame was was uh, was burning, and we were talking about the similarities of the fire running the roof. And firefighters going in and taking artifacts out while the fire was still burning, and the decision that that decision to make that call rather than, you know, put those those resources against fire suppression efforts, uh, all of that all of that gets played out in districts every day across across St. Louis, and that is certainly part of the prevention efforts. In addition to better alarm systems, better suppression systems, better building design. Greg, we saw the Carpellis Manuscript Library Museum go up in flames last month. And one of the remarkable things about that was that firefighters were walking out of there with their arms full of historic documents and artifacts sure. from the museum. Uh, is that unusual? And are, are they trained to do that? 
So, so you know, there, there is a uh, there's a sequential order at every fire that you go to, and the first thing is always life safety, right? Um, by that point in the fire, we knew that they, we knew that the building was unoccupied. We knew all firefighters were accounted for. We could tell that there were going to be areas of that building that that uh, you know they were going to be unable to save, and so the fire chief and his deputies made the de- made the determination to do. Um, some some preservation efforts, and that is that's absolutely something we do. And it's not it's not highlighted in the way that it was at that fire, but we do that. You know, St. Louis City will respond to roughly five or six working fires a day. We will do this at some point today in in a four family. We will go and we'll pull clean clothes out for a family who may be displaced by fire, but we'll get you know birth certificates and wallets and a fresh change of clothes and like we'll. We, we can't prevent what has happened, but we can lessen the impact of that. So, and you um, can make decisions in the moment to set priorities and say we do have the flexibility right now to get someone's key documents out of the out of the house. It provided provided it doesn't take away from a life safety effort or or saving the structure completely, absolutely. And that's part of overhaul. We try to do as little damage as possible as firefighters, and part of that is pulling key things out. I mean, it's always nice when it's artifacts like that that picture you saw with a firefighter carrying a great big ship out and stuff mm. like that. But, uh, you know, equally equally important is a, a family on a fixed income who is able to, you know, restart a life in a in a, a holiday in that night with all of their key government documents so they can start applying for different things. Sure. Things like that. Sure. And our, our time is winding down. So I do want to thank our guests for being here. Greg Favor, Christopher Gordon, and David Lott. It was a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.